This album is dedicated to all brothers and sisters. My men and my women. And yo, it's time. Put our hands together for hell, hell, hell. This what I'm talking about, y'all. It's hip hop. The stories of hip hop, of rap music, are the stories of a million MCs who inside of them the words are coming, the words they need to make sense of the world around them. The words are witty and blunt, abstract and linear, sober and fucked up. And when we decode that torrent of words, by which I mean really listen to them with our minds and our hearts open, we can understand their world better, and ours too. It's the same world. This is Rhymes and Reasons. Vic Spencer, 30-year-old MC slash director, as I would call it, in the, in the music world. I've been rapping since I was in seventh grade. On my downtime, I'm an advocate for a program called Youth Advocate Programs. And basically, it's a CPS program that, you know, en enables people like me that got connections with music art, media, web design, so forth, my personal connections, and I utilize those connections with the kids that we service. I am from the south side of Chicago, east side, 67th on down from Stony to the lake, 67 to about 87 for almost half my life, basically. Mike, check. Get smooth to any groove, relax the tongue. Let my mic take a cruise around the planet. Packing men like Janet Jackson. She's asking if I can slam it. Yo, yo, Red Man, yeah, 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 man. Yeah, what the yeah. fuck, man? Get the fuck I'm off that, that punk shit. smooth that shit, that man. man. Get with that Where's rough shit, that man. You know Tonight's tonight, Red Man. That is actually the song that got me motivated, influenced me to rap to, you know, create my own sound. Redman was my idol. Seventh grade, I was in the zone of trying to find myself what I wanted to do, and I really never had a chance to put a hand on anything that I would want to do, so it was all just scrambled, and then this Tonight's the Night came on the box, and I was like, oh man, this is great, you know? Because I followed my brother's footsteps, but like, my brother didn't listen to this kind of music, East Coast rap. My brother's the oldest of four, and we're, uh, we're a year apart. When Tonight's the Night came out, he had to be at least 16, 17 at the time. He was more into West Coast gangster rap. He was always listening to N.W.A., MC Bree, Detroit, the old Dayton family, that. That thing, that was his thing. And I liked it, that stuff, because I followed my brother. With, with Redman, it, it allowed me to find my own and capture it, capture my musical moment. And I was heavy into EPMD at the time, and Eric Sermon was a great producer at the time. My cell knock from blocks as I chill and bust grills. You take snapshots of a maniac dressed in black around him strapped. Red Man Tonight's the Night brought out that me wanting to rap. I looked up to him. That was one of the guys like the kids look up to Waka Flocka and now. I looked up to Red Man during that time, you know. He's funny and witty and Rugged, and you know, I was one of those old hip-hop dudes that had Tim's on and 
trees and we were young but rough and that kind of described how we was tonight's tonight now and i listen to the lyrics it's something anybody would say i don't know if he had you know an idea that it was gonna blow up that fast and probably russell simmons then was like man this not the song that you should release first you know because lol and you know how they blew up take it off their shirts and whatnot you know what i'm saying and making love songs but here's red man what five years later whole different feel and it was something that i could kick with trying to get my story like this i walk around the street with the black tech now by the waistline picking our hype shit i never claimed to be the best type of rapper you have to show the motherfuckers what i'm after I'm after the gold, then after that the platinum Beef after that, Hurricane G packs the gas, son Chigga bang bang, yo bust the slang with my name It's the red man on the funk thing Psych your motherfucking right tonight, tonight To do what I wanna do, to do it like dynamite I think that they were trying to bite I think they were trying to go at, uh, you know, ALLs and them They whole little repertoire, little thing They just trying to go at it Like, man, nah, don't kick that old savvy bush You know what I'm saying? Give me some that I can feel. Give me some of that rough, smooth. Where I'm, you know, where I'm from. Where you from? I know you're seeing you. Let me get that. And comes out with the flamboyant rhymes. And it's like, oh man, that's like the best. It's like man. So that moment right there, it's like man, you. If if I don't, I don't know, I guess you could say like man, he tried to do what LL Nim was doing. You know, because it, it, it's like one of those smooth old tracks. Mm -hmm. It's like Sean Price. He raps over these smooth tracks. But you ain't going to hear him talk about no old, no, no, no uh, mushy mushy. Nah, he getting on there being real gutter. And that's what Hurricane G was like. Nah, you know, it's like a contrast. I like contrast. You hear a song about Joy and Roses and it's in a sample. And then you talk about how... Uh, how roses is dead in the hood on the same song. It's a contrast. I like that. I like that. That. It was that. That too, the contrast about it. So listen up and take heed to what I'm saying. Cause tonight's tonight, and me and my niggas ain't playing. One of my guys, his name is Fred Long, and he's like the godfather to my kid. I'm the godfather to his kids, and you know, we met at a male support group called Symbol, and that's an acronym for Strong Young Man by Law, without the O. We would meet twice a month, and you know, I didn't know what his interest was. He didn't know what my interest was. He knew that I was rapping at the time. So, we knew that we had a connection within each other, being raised in group homes and so forth and so on. But we were older at this time. And when I got a chance to get with him outside of the group, Tonight's Tonight was his favorite song. And it got him to start rapping. And this was maybe 99 or something like that. And when we heard and when he played it at that time, I was like, I got the same feeling I felt when I first heard it. But to see somebody else enjoy it the same way it kind of drew me into this guy. And now he's like my, I like my blood brother. I consider him like my blood brother. Like I love him to death. Like that's my, 
that's my man, Honey Grand. Like, if there's any kind of leader in the world that I would follow, it would be Fred Long because he's an example of what happens to people that come from nothing, utilize music to get them going, and then shell out to the world. And then not only just shell out, but spread it around. So just how Redman was able to get me involved into the song and I'm just spreading around everything that's about this song. It's the same thing that I saw in Fred. And he loved the same song. When I was seven years old, I was taken away from my mom and my dad because they were addicted to drugs. DCFS came into play and they took us in. They took us in. They didn't find my dad on drugs, so they were trying to make, you know, make it stay, not make the family stay together and so forth. So they met in court and they're like, you know, do you want to go, do you want to take your kids? And he says no. He walks out. So then my mom in jail can't really do nothing. So my grandma steps in the, in the, in the bowl like, yo, you know, I got to make sure I keep y'all together and so forth, so on. Then time grows by, my, my grandma's getting old. So, you know, she start, she had to start moving. She moved into like subsidized nursing home. It wasn't like nurses around, but you know, nurses would be on call to go there, you know, for any service. And like she had diabetes and her leg got amputated, so she can't take care of us no more. So now we're at aunt house, we're at one of my aunt's house. My aunt and my sister gets into it and move to another aunt. Then they get into it again, then I move back to the same aunt. Now, during all of this time, See, that's why I was then completely just struck off music because I was just moving around so much. I didn't have no time for music, you know. I was trying to get into Tragedy Gaddafi at the time too. But, you know, it's just all over the place. So at the time when I was living with another auntie was learning about foster care and DCFS and so forth and so on and I guess somebody put up on game about taking in mentally ill children so her uh, first her first stunt was to try to send us to psychiatric homes to see if we were diagnosed with anything then we weren't diagnosed with anything. I got sent to some grant hospital and I was all, man, I was going through it. So with that, with that story, we come back. She's like, oh, well, they ain't diagnosed. This is all before I knew about the story, but no, nah, well, they ain't diagnosed, boom, boom, boom. So she started getting more kids, you know, and then we started clashing with those kids. And then eventually she issued a 14 day notice on, at the time, it was four of us. I'm the youngest of four. My oldest sister and brother, uh, they, you know, old enough and they just moved out and didn't want to live around with drama. But me and my youngest sister, we got, we dealt a lot of that hand. You know, we was dealt that hand. So my auntie 
issued a 14 day notice on me and my sister. We started going into group homes. Then uh, we were on, this was like maybe seventh grade, maybe eighth grade. Like after I heard tonight's tonight, I'd been moved around maybe about five times. So now I'm at this group home, it's like a covenant. And you know, I was there for about three months and then they moved me out to uh, Park Ridge, Edison Park home. I was out there until they lost the acres of land that they had. Now it's all condos over there. Then I moved to another group home, which was Ulick Children's home. And now it's called You Can. And I was in their residential site. I was in their community resource homes. I was in the independent living program and so forth. So on to 99, I'm in the independent living program. I'm just living life, you know, just on the chill mode. And then, you know, I didn't know what freedom was at that time. So of course I abused it. And drinking and smoking and partying and all of that got evicted. I'm ready for the world, or at least I thought I was Bagging niggas when I caught a buzz Thinking about how short I was Going too fast, it wouldn't last, but yo, I couldn't tell Group homes and institutions, prepare my ass for jail They put me in a situation, forcing me to be a man But I was just don't understand without a helping hand Damn, was it my fault, something I did To make the father leave his first hand uh, independent living program tried to put me in the YMCA In the hundreds, 111th in Michigan like, nah, i never do it. Now, in my plan, my initial plan in the DCFS system was for me to be either adopted or independent living, but no contact with my mom, like no spending the night, so forth, so on. Then up till I was 21. So with that, I went on and lived with my mom. I didn't, they didn't know, uh, I didn't let them know. I was like, man, forget that. I'm not finna stay in the YMCA. So I went, you know, uh, the whole time I had a relationship with my mom and uh, I went over to her house and we talked about it. And she felt like she owed me something. She was, we was at her boyfriend's house at the time, but she stayed directly across the street. But she would always be over his house. So she's like, man, you can have my apartment until something fries up. I have been over there ever since, around 60, in, in between 67th and 87, you know, uh, had my own apartment after after they found out I was doing well and enrolled myself in school here at Washington College, where I eventually graduated from, and, and they seen that I can be able to handle myself well, and they gave me another apartment. And after that, I just took off. I was on 67th and Chappelle, and then I moved in with a, a, a person that mentored me on 88th and Ridgeland, and then I got friends from 90th and Yates, and you know, I, then I just started being all over the place until I landed up in Inglewood, where I'm at now. See, most of my life I never had shit. I felt like an outcast, treated like a misfit. Damn near didn't make it on my day of birth, thinking was I really supposed to be on this planet Earth? I take a deep breath and then another follows. Cause hard shit is kinda hard to- Yeah, I was trying to figure out what the hell I was trying to, how music could try to match with what the hell was going on with my life at the time. And I spent so much time trying to figure out that it just happened to be an outlet to get me away from this to, well, I guess to straight me away from all the nonsense that's happening out in the world and trying to keep myself afloat, you know, because I could have went and had a nervous breakdown, like all of the stuff that I went through. Like I could have went out and 
killed somebody uh, or lived the stigma that they got on us already. So I was like, man, you know, I, I wasn't really thinking about that. I was just thinking about how I was going to survive the next day. I was one of those dudes that kind of took it one day at a time when nobody told me about it. When nobody was like, man, take, take one day at a time. I was I was doing it without knowing what that meant. I was in a in a bad time. I couldn't put nothing with nothing. I couldn't put my heart with a woman. I couldn't I couldn't trust people that were trying to lead me down the right path. I you know I don't know. I guess it, music did kind of keep me out of trouble at that time. You know, trying to rap, trying to do my own thing, rapping on tapes, and I had a karaoke machine and I. I had, uh, before I had the karaoke machine, I had two tapes, tape decks, one recorded, one played the instrumental, and I would be rapping, and I would come home, be in the group home, and be in my room doing that. While everybody was out playing games and doing pumpkin heads to new kids and going on stove passes and all that, I ain't started doing that to about, man, 16 or something like that, 17. And at that time, they, they almost trying to kick me out of the group home because I was doing so well. You know, I was, I didn't trap myself into this music, wanting to do music, listen to music all day, all night. Then about, I always kept a pair of headphones on me. Got a pair of headphones on me now, and I drive. You know, it's ridiculous. But it's just something about music that just kind of, I guess it kind of kept me out of trouble. So I kind of like, still use it to keep stay out of trouble even though I know right and wrong, you know, fifteen years later. Given the odds I was up against broke, the average nigga would have quit a long time ago. But now I've got a record out. I'm doing shows, people paying to see me turn it out. Now I'm the spice around town. Being in, in the independent living programs at uh at Ulick Children's home at the time. It's now called You Can. They would tell us about these uh, male support groups that teach about life skills. Since we're all on our own in our own apartment and we're fresh out the group home, we really ain't got that type of parenting, you know, to, you know, to help us get through on a daily basis and learn how to set up bank accounts and so forth, so on. So we would go to these male support groups, not only because they give us incentives, but we would learn something too. We were those kind of kids that was like, well, I'm gonna try to milk this system for as much as I can. So we would go and get the perfect attendance awards and get the, you know, the most participated award and, you know, and bank up off this stuff, buy sneakers and, and live our lives. So then people didn't even think that we were in group homes and so forth, so on. So I think the male support groups kind of helped, helped me and Fred kind of become better people within ourselves because we knew that we were going to go and do the right thing but I guess symbol kind of helped us put the stuff together to go out and do the right things instead of being all scattered you know just kind of put things in perspective and on one path and don't make no detours you know and that's kind of what I learned from being in symbols and male support groups you know just trying to uh, stay on your path stay in your lane and don't try to do anything extra don't try to speed you know, slow down when it's needed. You know, those are the kind of things that, you know, that I use, you know, 
as you know, a philosophy for you know life. Don't be a fool like those that don't go to school. Get ahead and accomplish things. You'll see the wonder and the joy life brings. Don't admire these. Hey, they don't admire you. Their time's limited. Hard rocks too. So listen, be strong. Scream, whoopie doo. Go for yours, 'cause dreams come. You know, I dealt with everything through music. Like it wasn't. Like, like my brother can tell you how many times he cussed out my mom and called her a crackhead. Or my sister can definitely tell you how many fights she didn't had with my mom about this after the fact. Or, you know, and it got to a point where she asked me, like, yo, when are you going to cuss me out? And I'm looking like, what the hell you want me to cuss you out for? I ain't, man, that ain't what I'm here for. You know, I'm here to try to get to the next step. Even though I know what happened to my past and I carry it with me, but I use it in the right way. I don't let it destroy me. I, it could be the worst thing to anybody, but it could it could have destroyed me. But if I paid attention to how I destroyed others, then I wouldn't have got far. So I had to stay in my own lane. And my mom and my dad, you know, I still got some sort of resentment towards my dad because he don't know when my birthday is. And, He's living and he's kind of wealthy and, you know, I still keep in contact with him and so forth. But it's not real. It's not like really authentic. I love him to death. He's my blood father and he's still alive. And I have to, you know, cherish that and appreciate that. But on the other end, I got other male figures that I look up to as brothers and as another father, this mentor that took me in. Hey, yo, be a father. If not, why bother, son? A boy can make them, but a man can raise one. If you did it, admit it to stick with it. Don't say it ain't yours, cause all women are not whores. 90% represent a woman that is faithful. Ladies, can I hear it? When a girl gets pregnant, her man is gonna run around. Dissing her for nine months when it's born, he wants to come around. Talking at him, sorry for what I did. And all of a sudden, he now wants to see his kid. She had to bear it by herself and take care of it by herself. And giving her some money for milk won't really help. Half of the fathers with sons and daughters don't even want to take them. But it's so easy for them to make them. It's true, if it weren't for you, then the child wouldn't exist. After a skis, there's responsibility, so don't resist. Be a father to your child. I look at him more of a father than any anybody in the world and I still call him daddy at 30 you know my dad is my dad and I'm gonna love him to death as long as I live but when it comes to safety nets I'm looking at the mentor that brought me in the staff member that was at a group home with me that brought me in to his house when he wasn't supposed to and went against the grain to make sure that I make it to college or graduate from college had a home you know, had gear and clothes and didn't even miss a beat with, uh, with, with staying in the fashion. And that's what I did. He, he knew that I was in the music. He knew that I was in the clothes. So he flooded me with that. We would go to secondhand tunes on Milwaukee and Belmont, man, and go just go get music. I'm 18, 19, 20 at the time, 23, 25 at the time. Like, man, you know, it was like I was trying to catch up with that feeling of, not having a father. 
Put yourself in his position and see what you've done. But just keep in mind that you're somebody's son. How would you like it if your father was a stranger and then tried to come into your life and tried to change the way your mother raised you? Now wouldn't that amaze you to be or not to be? That is the question. When you're wrong, you're wrong. It's hard to make a correction. Harassing the mother for being with another man. But if the brother man can do it better than you can, let him. Don't sweat him, Duke. Let him do the job that you couldn't do. You're claiming you was there, but not when she needed you. And now you want to come around for a day or two. It's never too late to correct your mistakes. So get yourself together for your child's sake and be a father. So those things, you know, I dealt with it through music. I dealt with the resentment through music. You know, I made a song called Father's Day for my dad. I made a song called The Parents for my mom. So, and it was on a world, it was on a UCAN website. We did all types of tours all over the country at different group homes. All of it, you know, the group home really took it serious that me, Fred, and a couple of other group home members we're in this group home, and we went and we were able to create music through those group home channels. And those channels was something that nobody, you know, those, that's stuff that nobody can take from us. Now, our parents, they took our childhood from us, but we had to go out and look at some lane for ourselves. And once we found out that music can do it, and if we talk about things that happen in our lives, then maybe we could try to help some of these kids out here. So that was like kind of like me and Fred's thing. We're going to take our story. We're not going to just sabotage our parents or whatsoever. We're going to take these stories. We're going to help these kids that's in the same situation that we was in. But my mom and my dad, they probably still to this day don't understand that I, had, I made the music to, to get it out of my system. I'm from a house where kids love to fight each other. If you get angry at a felon, they fighting motherfuckers. Get on punishment, start writing motherfuckers. A felon's trademark is not liking motherfuckers. But this group home nigga got shit in store. People ask me, what the fuck is you in there for? I say my mom's drug habit and my dad's negligence. When they see me in the group home, that's what made them I got a four-year-old daughter named Victoria. I'm the dad the way I am now is because of my past, you know, absolutely. It's because of uh, how I was raised. And me and the mom is together, getting engaged, getting married, and so forth and so on, because I want to be uh, a, a poster dad. That's what I said in, in my raps. I want to be that guy that's on the wall of my daughter's room. I want her to see my face everywhere. I want that for me because I didn't have that. And you know, she gets to have that. That's, that's the number one goal. Go out to work for her. You know, that's, man, you know, I, I, she's she, she young to understand, to, to understand what's going on. But definitely, well, man, my daughter, man, is the world. That's like the only thing, the only hope I have. Like, man, you know, I, I looked at it like, yeah, my life ends when she was born. I did. And, and, it, and it brought greater responsibility for me. You know, and I think it just made me a better person just being around that woman and being around a kid that calls me daddy all day. Like, man, you know, I, I, I don't remember saying none of those words, you know, just to be a father. You know, I ain't know what I was doing when it was going on. 
you know. But when it all happened, I was like, yes. Bloodshed and War, the youngsters featuring Mob Deep. They both got verses on there, and the youngsters, there was three of them. And I didn't know who the youngsters was. I still don't know who the youngsters were is right now. But I knew they was around, and I knew their music was, was cold. Yo, don't get scared, just be prepared for the worst. The streets coerce my mind with crime, my nine bus shots and outbursts. Threw your back out your thicker, and so these crap niggas. The power of the finger could run, you wouldn't believe the shit I fell upon. It was me and Havoc sipping on my wet Sean Dawn. I went outside to drain my main vein for some relief. Found a backpack full of G notes, and like a thief, I snatched I was uh, living in a group home at this time, and um. When uh, when I first heard Bloodshed and War, it was on 106 Jams radio station. That DJ Pink House and Ghetto Boys, and, and, and you know they playing uh, Lords of the Underground, and they're playing all kinds of music. Then this song comes on, and at first they only played Prodigy's verse, like throughout the whole like throughout the whole time I learned, and I had recorded it on a tape deck, and then. Down the line, I think Pink House played it and played it in its entire. So I had that same tape and I had the first verse with Prodigy. But then after his verse goes off, it goes right into that. I break proof with my WB crew. We cool facts still. I made the song. I made the song uh, the way it's supposed to be on my own. Like I think I had came in on the side when Prodigy's verse was ending, and then I was like, "Oh shit, I need to get record, first record." I had the tape ready and everything, and, and, and then it came out sweet. And I held on to this tape until I got my first car. So this '95 to 2002. I've had this tape, and then my car got stolen, and I don't know where it's at now to this day. But I went on, uh, I was just thinking about like all the old songs that I used to listen to and I don't have, and that song immediately struck in my head. I didn't know the name of it, so I went on YouTube like, we all won, so it comes down to it. And sure enough, it popped right up. Yeah. So when I heard it, don't be scared to be prepared for the worst. I just like, oh man, say that. I just start going. Now. How much I appreciated that song, just in its entire, just like it's a long cut and the beat is just cold and 
they all on that gutter rap I was listening to back then, the East Coast rap, when they was really trying to be on some show and prove. You know, it sounds like some devilish. It sounds devilish. You know, the sound of the sound of that song is like I guess it had some kind of emotion to me, man, but I would find myself rapping in the mirror. Like that was one of those songs I was rapping in the mirror. Would have found a backpack full of G notes. I stashed it up. Back in the crib, I stashed it up. Waited two days. Like, man, this dude talked about he just stole something. He found somebody's money. He waited two days to start spending it. Two days later, nobody say nothing about it. Boom. Found a backpack full of G notes. I like a thief. I stashed it up. Back at the crib, I stashed it up. Waited two days and started spending it fast as fuck. Straight up splurging. Open like a virgin with her first piece of dick. Ten yards ain't shit. I blessed all the guards with thousands and cars. No more hustling. Now we can open up bars to wash all this money clean. Nigga, it's the American dream. But it ain't as easy as it seems. Cause now these mob niggas looking for their cream. And word got back through this fiend that it was me who stole their loot. Now they putting out hits trying to shoot me. But I'm out in LA on the low, living Gucci and lavish. They try to take their money back, it's two to their cabbage. Karan, what's the haps, kid? So, man, I guess the bloodshed and war is kind of like one of those songs that made me. I guess it's like, man, when you return, it's like a return thing, like something that you can, that you can't get back or something to make you appreciate it. Like, but this is like, man, you know, I forgot, you know? He, it was always one of those records on Mob Deep Records that, that had that, 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 that dark, gloomy sound. I don't know, I guess I liked that stuff back then, man, because it kind of like, that was what kind of dude I was. Mm. I was a dude that was straight away from everybody else. Everything, like, I was always a private dude. And the sound of, it sounds private. It sounds personal. It sounds, it sounds rough. That beat has like a lot of emotion to it. That dum dum Like man, that is powerful. It's simple, but it's powerful. Mm-hmm. And that bass line, it's like a different sound in the car. Like, like for, compared to me listening to it on the radio in '95 and listening to it now in 2012. Man, I wish I knew what speakers was like back then. You know, I didn't know what it said, what, what big old 12s and 15s sound like back then. But to hear that kind of music on them on the sound system now, man, I wish all music was like that. I wish all the music would have that sound. That sound was just, ah, it's crazy. It, it does represent how I was as a kid. A gloomy dude. Black Jesus is the first time I ever heard 
Allah referenced in the song. Now, I'm not Muslim or anything, but I didn't know what Allah was when I heard the song. Allah, tell me why this world so fucked up, Black Jesus. I didn't know if it was a Black Jesus or not, but I just thought that it was very interesting. And, you know, I grew up when I was living with my grandma, my grandfather was a pastor, you know, and I went to church because I had to, you know, and then I got older, I started thinking like, just because, I mean, people made it seem like, well, if you don't go to church, then you don't believe in God. Like, come on, man, are you kidding me, man? Like, come on, get up off that. But then when I was talking to Fred about this situation, he, he said something that was key. And I thought about this song. He said, just because you go inside a place that has a cross on it, doesn't mean that you believe in God. Like, wow, that's deep. That's deep to tell somebody that, you know. That's deep. Like Tupac say, only God can judge me. But I think on the black Jesus. Six in the morning and I see the sun rise. Wish I died in my sleep. Didn't want to open my eyes to see. This world so fucked up for me and my family. Work so hard but can't earn a decent salary. These bills keep ripping the nigga ass. Spent my whole check trying to dress with class. I find myself having to smoke weed just to chill. Both my parents got It's so graphical. It's like a lot of things going on in that song that's going on today mm-hmm. in that song, you know? And, and, and it's, I guess it's kind of like my pop really got a baby kind of song. Cause they talking about like, man, you know, take me out of this. But it didn't get a, it was an underdog. They were underdogs, but they still kind of touched up on the same stuff. But I think their stuff was more graphical, you know? Um, you know what he say? Lock them in prison and they coming through like a motherfucker giving out free barbecue. Lock them up for life and say fuck you. And then most of them ain't made it past the 12th grade. And that's so true. That's right now. In Inglewood, ain't making it past the 12th grade if they ain't in the wrong shop. White man build the prison and the niggas come through Like the motherfuckers giving out free barbecue Lock a nigga up in life and say fuck you Most of y'all ain't make it past the 12th grade That's why you making minimum wage Or slinging rocks for chump chains A lot of people died for the right to vote We don't use it, white devils taking nigga land And misuse it On top of that, I think my uncle on crack My boy Quay Sean took a slug in his back From another black, now we in the coma trying to I wasn't involved in to that life and what they were talking about, how you lose life. But I see it now. So it's like kind of one of those songs that, you know, of course it's a gloomy, the, the beat is very gloomy. And the lyrics, of course, very graphical and vulgar. But overall, it still kind of soak up, you know. It's kind of one of those songs that kind of kept me from, I don't know, from kept me from going out there, you know, catching diseases and whatnot. See what he say about AIDS? He's like, you dabbing in that pussy, then you dabbing in the grave. What? Yeah, this is like literally, I think about it literally. <laughs> like, yeah, literally, for real, you dabbing in the grave if, you, if you're not thinking about those kind of consequences. So, you know, I'd be thankful after hearing songs like that. <laughs> Man, <laughs> oh man, woo. I'm gonna die on my 
Jesus. Tell me why this world's so fucked up, my love. Tell me why this world's so fucked up like these. Tell me why this world's so fucked up for me. For me, a nigga black Jesus. Tell me why this world's so fucked up, my love. Tell me why this world's so fucked up like Jesus. Tell me why this world's so fucked up for me. For me, I've been through it all, man. I've seen the the lows of all lows. But that song right there, that Black Jesus song, it's like, it's not more of a spiritual song for me. It's more of a, man, shit, man. These guys is rapping about how they made it, man. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a personal ordeal, you know. The, the beat is not personal, but, you know, that's what they see on a daily basis now in New Orleans. That's where they're from. I can imagine at that time, it was the murder capital, you know. I was heavy into No Limit at that time, you know. And stuff like that when No Limit was, you know, making that big push and Master P made all that money and stuff like that. I, I, thought, I thought it was a great idea to make those pen and pixel artwork and lure everybody in in the 90s. And it worked, you know, and I kind of big that up because his Scarface and Rap-A-Lot as the big dogs and they're the underdogs. And they made something from nothing. And when Cain and Abel... First album came out, The Seven Sins. That's what that's, I guess that's it made me appreciate that no limit sound. KLC is kind of like one of my top five producers in the 90s. Like all of the songs that produced by KLC, it was like I immediately went to those songs first. <laughs> like, oh, those songs are going to be the hits. Uh, no Limit Soldiers, all the No Limit Soldier songs. KLC did all of those, you know. The Posse songs, I love those songs. But Black Jesus, it's like bloodshed and war. It's very long, it's very gloomy. You know, it's, uh, Master P got two verses in that bad boy, you know, but man, you never know who's in the 90s. You don't know who was going to lose their shoes or their life. They was killing people over that stuff that they were talking about, man, you know. And drug dealing was at an all-time high, and that's the stuff that I was surrounded by, but I guess it was one of those records that was like, man, Black Jesus, tell me why this world's so fucked up by lot. Like, man, it made me want to do Man, hey, why is this world like this? Tell me, is this heaven? Is this hell? I ain't hell. But all I hear is funeral bells. The ghetto's trying to kill me. A born loser. A born hustler. My uncle's a drug user. I'm from the projects. And should I say the third wall with fools in the killing? And fiends walk like Amdraws hooked up with the twins. Or should I say Cain and Abel trying to keep some what he say? Well, I'm trying to think what Master P said at the end. Little kids get rowdy, but will I make it out this ghetto? I doubt it. Mm. You know, and when you think about that, if you standing in the same stand still, hell no, you're not gonna make it. So, you know, they came, they 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 came up from from back then to where they are now. You know, they made it out. You know, and for them to go back and go and dig into that during the time 
where bling bling and all that shit was out. Man, it was, it was deep. And it was over a real ill beat. It's like, it's like Pac did it. It's like you paid attention to Pac. You didn't give a damn about the beat. It was Pac saying it. But with Cain and Abel, it's like they had to have a beat for them. You know, it had to be something that was cold that would make me want to listen to it. And, and, and I guess that's what it did. It was that beat made by K. I don't think KLC even made that beat. I think it was Carlos Stevens, another guy that was in the No Limit Empire that had real dope beats. You know, but that song was cold. Niggas banging, red and blue, everybody's hanging. Niggas bout it, little kids get riled. But would I make it out this ghetto? I doubt. I think the devil's trying to get me to sell my soul. He keep on walking with me, he keep on talking with me. I think the devil's trying to get me to sell my soul. He trying to tempt me with the bitches and money. And as a man, I can identify with stuff like that, you know, just with, just with life, you know, just to seeing people talk like that, that I'm around and, you know, the, the, the mentality that some of my friends have and I done seen kids come and go, I done seen kids reap the benefits, I done seen myself reap benefits and uh, conquer opportunities, but man. I did it through music. I connected. Whatever I got going on, whatever I do is all it's because of music. You know, I'm man, man, music is what got me here. Music is what saved my life. Like if anybody asked me that, it was music. Ah man, you went through the group homes. How did you survive that stuff, man? Music. Black Jesus. Bloodshed you know, and war. That type of stuff is what kept me in the in the grain. Black by popular demand, I expand my hand to the mic and let my mouth pick the flim flam. I get sex, I get wrecked up of mad blunts. I get vexed, I break next punch, I go punch, chump. Yo, yo, fuck the yo, turn this shit off, man. Yo, put a new record on. You know what I'm saying?